Welcome everybody to the Tripolitan. My name is Rafat Yamak. Uh, as usual, we have an exciting episode today about a very particular, um, a particular topic of the Syrian uprising, uh, dealing mostly with uh, the Kurdish population in Syria and more specifically the YPG, the People's Protection Units. We have a very exciting guest with us today. His name is Ubaidah Hito. Ubaidah Hito is a Syrian-American journalist based in Istanbul. He has a BA in psychology from the University of Texas at Dallas and is a master's candidate in international relations and political science at Istanbul, Sabah al-Din Zaim University. Uh, welcome to the Tripolitan, Ubaidah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I hope I said the university right. I might have said it in an Arabic accent, Sabah al-Din. Yeah, it's okay. It's Sabah al-Din here, Zaim, but it, it works, you know. The guy's name is uh, coming from Arabic origin words, so Sabah al-Din is just fine. And the, the university has a lot of international students from like any number of countries that you could think of off the top of your head. So you can only imagine that everybody is saying the name in a different way. So. Yeah. That, that's that's crazy. That's that's good. That's good to know. Um, is your last, by the way, Hito is is that Arabic? Is that an Arabic last name or is it? Uh, I'm kind of so curious. The, the the last name is a Kurdish last name. Uh, my dad is uh, Kurdish. Okay. Uh, from Kurdish descent, he grew up in Damascus, though. So in Syria, there's uh, Kurds, you know, in many parts of Syria, mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a group of them who are in Damascus, and they refer to them as Akrad al-Sham, you know, like the Kurds of Damascus, mm-hmm. and they 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 are mostly in uh, a neighborhood called uh, uh, Rukn al-Din, okay. and in Rukn al-Din, uh, this is where you know there are a lot of Kurdish families, very old Kurdish families. Many of them also have relatives in other parts of Syria, uh, but these are all Kurds that settled in Damascus. And most of them, I shouldn't say most, like there's a different culture to the Kurds that are in Damascus in the sense that many of the families in Damascus who are from Kurdish descent don't necessarily speak Kurdish. Mm -hmm. Part of my dad's family speaks Kurdish and part of it doesn't. Uh, But they are all from Kurdish descent. Interesting. Interesting. So basically, like a lot of the Kurds in Damascus, they've become Arabicized a little bit over the generations. I mean, it's it's a cultural thing, you know, yeah. because in Damascus, it's like a metropolitan city. Uh, there's different kind of culture there. There's different kind of politics there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's disassociated from the Kurdish uh, kind of society that's dominant in northern Syria, in places mm-hmm. where there are entire villages and towns where they only speak Kurdish. Right? right, so right. they're the minority in Damascus, so they kind of took on this uh, Damascene identity. Interesting. Yeah, um, you know, uh, Ubaidah, one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to delve into um, this topic that I had kind of briefly mentioned in, in the introduction is the recent uh, attack on the uh, Sam's Hospital, the Syrian Amer- Syrian American Medical Society, I think, is the abbreviation in uh, the hospital in, in Afrin. Yeah. And the uh, you know local authorities in, in Afrin um, and Turkey have pointed their fingers to the YPG, and obviously this is a you know gross violation of you know international law. Hitting a hospital in this way it was very and a lot of fingers are being pointed to possibly you know YPG groups in Tel Rifat, which is under the Syrian government uh, basically rule. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of. Uh, touch back on this um, 
on this topic uh, on the YPG and, uh, and the Kurds in Syria. So I want to kind of start off with just a basic introduction of who the Kurds are. Now, according to statistics, Kurds make up about 10% of Syria's population. And a lot of times the media, they paint the Kurds as some kind of monolith. Um, you know, they'll just basically refer to them as the Kurds. But as we know, there's uh, various political parties within the Kurdish society um, in Syria. Would you kind of, would you, would you mind kind of going over like that, uh, that uh, so, misconception look, and kind of dispelling it? The, 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 this term, the Kurds, yep. especially when it comes to Syria, has been used and uh, used and abused, I should say. Uh, you say, or you mentioned that uh, the Kurds have become a kind of a monolith. Uh, in the eyes of Western media. Mm -hmm. But I, I think a better way of explaining it would be to say that the YPG and its relative groups, mm -hmm. uh, there are a, a whole number of groups, we can get into that later if you like, yeah. uh, uh, the, the YPG and the PKK's branches in Syria have become the monolith. And the Kurdish identity has been wrongfully and in some ways uh, in a very... A kind of uh, uh, how you say purposeful way been attached to the PKK. So automatically, when people are talking about the PKK terror group, uh, whether it be in Syria or Iraq or even in Turkey, uh, especially in the West, they say the Kurds. And what they actually mean, uh, what they're actually trying to say is that, oh, well, these Kurds who are involved with these terror groups they actually represent all of the Kurds, which is not the case. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge mistake for anyone to assume that all of the Kurds are, uh, you know, basically one group, uh, that there aren't any divisions ideologically, religiously, uh, politically within the Kurds, that they're all represented by this uh, terror group that attacks civilians and wants to create this kind of utopian uh, socialist communist uh, entity in the heart of the Middle East. Uh, so this is the first thing that I would say, that the Kurdish community in general uh, mm -hmm. is has, has, has many different branches, has many different aspects to it, uh, is a very rich uh, community in terms of culture, language, practices, history, uh, um, uh, you could say traditions, um, the, the Kurdish community is uh, one of the oldest, you know, kind of communities uh, in all of history. Uh, it, it, it's definitely native to this region. Uh, mm -hmm. it, there are Kurds uh, anywhere from uh, Eastern Europe all the way to uh, Central Asia. There are people from, you should say, the Kurdish ethnicity, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the Kurdish community in Syria is also very rich and diverse. Mm -hmm. uh, we already spoke about that briefly. There's Kurdish people in Damascus. There are Kurds uh, around Aleppo, uh, mm -hmm. especially in the area where the attack came from uh, in Tarifat. There's in yeah. northern Aleppo in the area of Afrin. There is also uh, a Kurdish community uh, all along the Turkey-Syria border towards Iraq. Uh, there are Kurdish communities uh, mixed in with uh, other communities living in the same region, Arabs and Turkmen. Uh, there are also some, uh, there are also some people from the Caucasus, uh, Chechnyans who uh, actually migrated to northern Syria uh, and lived there um, in Hasake, Qamishli, 
uh, into the northern, the northern, northeastern tip of Syria, all the way towards Malkia, uh, right uh, into the northern tip of Syria, bordering Jizre. I mean, there's Kurdish communities all across uh, that region. And, and uh, that's, uh, sorry, sorry to kind of just cut you off, but that's exactly what I'm talking about in terms of a lot of people, which you mentioned before, They when they think of Kurds in Syria, spe- specifically, they think of the YPG. I remember there used to be, you know, uh, a lot of YPG crackdown on, let's say, anti-Assad o- uh, opposition figures that are Kurdish, like the KNC, the Kurdish National Council, for example. Uh, a lot of them that were imprisoned. And uh, you didn't really have much uh, media outcry when it came to that YPG crackdown on anti-Assad Kurdish opposition figures. Absolutely. Look, Mishal Temo, Mishal Temo is one of the most uh, notable figures that fits into this category, right? Mishal Temo was openly against uh, the Assad regime. He was also openly against the uh, PKK terror group. Uh, he was a, a, an activist, a politician and an activist. Uh, and he he was also part of the struggle to secure Kurdish rights in Syria before the revolution. So th- the Kurdish community in Syria didn't necessarily have uh, freedom before the revolution. And the Kurdish community in Syria was also uh, involved in um, multiple attempts to try and secure its rights, its its civilian rights. The uh, Kurdish community in Syria, uh, for the most part, wasn't able to register itself as, you know, a Syrian citizen or get identity cards or even speak and teach or learn uh, their own language in Syria under the Assad regime mm-hmm. uh, before the revolution. And when the revolution started, people like Michel Temo uh, were outspoken against both the Assad regime and these other ideologically driven groups like the PKK terror group. Uh, and he was actually shot dead, for example, mm-hmm. uh, because and he wasn't shot down. He wasn't shot dead uh, by the Assad regime. He was shot dead. You know, uh, well, look, he, he may have been shot dead by the Syrian regime, uh, but uh, it was most likely and this is my opinion. It was most likely in coordination with members of the PKK terror organization because he was in northern Iraq when he was killed. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was killed by the Syrian regime uh, or somebody related to the Syrian regime in a place where the PKK was able to move around. Uh, and this is something that people overlook, that people who are Kurdish in identity and ethnicity are not necessarily uh, feeling, uh, you know, this kind of assimilation with the PKK terror organization. And, and regarding, you know, Timmo, I mean, obviously there's been collaboration with between the YPG and Assad, whether in Sheikh Maqsud district in Halab, in Aleppo, or Tal Rafat, as we mentioned before. So nothing is kind of out of the bounds uh, regarding what you're saying. I wanted to uh, move on to the YPG spe- specifically now to kind of, because the YPG, it seems like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like it's the largest Kurdish group when it comes to Syria, uh, the largest Kurdish armed group, at least. Um, who like who are the YPG? We see a lot of pictures sometimes of YPG supporters raising pictures of Abdullah Ojalan, for example, one of the founders of the PKK, which is a terror group classified by the United States, the EU, and Turkey. So who exactly are the YPG? Uh, there's, can you just kind of define it for us, who this group is, how they came okay. to, how, how they were able to rise during the Syrian uprising? 
Okay, I just want to clarify that Mishal Timmo actually, he was shot in his home in Qamishli. Sorry, not okay. in northern Iraq, but okay. in Qamishli okay. uh, in, in northern Syria. At the time, he was traveling between northern Iraq and Syria. He was also part of the Syrian National Council. He mm -hmm. was an outspoken part of the opposition. And he was actually in Qamishli when they shot him. Okay. Uh, that being said, the YPG terror group, when, when he was shot wasn't in existence yet okay mm -hmm. the ypg terror group uh came into existence several years after the uh i should say openly came into existence several years after the revolution started because in syria before the revolution started the pkk was the dominant uh presence for these uh groups that were uh, calling basically for freedom and rights and uh, independence for Kurdish people. The PKK was the one that was known to be using uh, this kind of calling card and slogan to advocate for Turkish uh, for for Kurdish rights. And they had several different kinds of bodies in existence inside Syria, whether they were political or they were social, and they had a very uh, elaborate kind of system where uh, they recruited young men and young women to be politically active, to be active in their organizations, and they operated somewhat underground. Uh, and then in uh, 2013, I believe, uh, in 2013, they announced, it was either 2013 or 2014, mm -hmm. they announced their formation officially, okay? Mm -hmm. There were uh, several groups of PKK, you should say, kinds of uh, sleeper cells, or if you want to call them spheres of influence, yeah. some in Afrin, some in Sheikh Maqsud in the Tarifat region, some of them in Qamishli and Hasake, and they decided they wanted to organize and that they wanted to form uh, something that uh, they could say was uh, their own in Syria. And they did this all with the help of the PKK Central Committee, Executive Committee that exists uh, in the Qandil Mountains in Iraq near the uh, Iranian border. So when they decided that they were going to come out and they were going to announce their existence, uh, they formed uh, several different branches of their armed wing. Mm -hmm. Because in Syria, there was already political activism, right? Mm -hmm. They had the PYD, they had other uh, Kurdish uh, political parties that have nothing to do with the PKK, that were actually opposed to the PKK, which included members people uh, like Michel Temo and groups like the KNC, uh, which is, uh, you know, ideologically opposed to the PKK. Uh, but the PKK also had a presence and it had political parties and communal and societal organizations. The YPG said, okay, we're going to form the YPG and we're going to form the YPJ, which is the women's protection units. The okay. YPG uh, is the people's protection units. And that's where the male members go. Uh, and as they developed, uh, you know, uh, they, they started to create uh, branches of their armed groups. So they have, for example, the HAT, which is the uh, the anti-terror units, right? Mm -hmm. uh, these are more uh, more highly trained or more advanced, uh, you know, units of the PKK terror organization. Mm -hmm. Under a different name, they have their own logos and things like this. Mm -hmm. uh, and by by, let's say. 2017 this is all happening as the fight against daesh is going on right mm -hmm. so they're they're this kind of secretive group 
that has organized underneath the banner of the YPG with mm -hmm. direct support from the PKK. Mm -hmm. They've organized themselves into these small groups and they're not really carrying out huge operations until uh, 2015 when everything changed uh, because America said that they were going to help the Kurds. Again, we come back to this kind of rhetoric. Yep. They were going to help the Kurds defeat these Islamic fundamentalist terrorists. Mm -hmm. And that's when uh, this situation gets a little bit conflated. So, I mean, just to kind of, what you're saying is, uh, you know, it really takes you back because it seems like it's been ages ago during these operations that you're mentioning. Uh, but it seems like even with all with what you're saying, like the YPG still failed to uh, garner like support, not just from Kurdish population, but from non-Kurdish populations. As you know, there were reports of ethnic expulsions in predominantly Arab areas, for example, like Tel Abyad, which prompted, uh, I think, the United States to kind of uh, also to, you know, uh, let's say, ease some of the concerns for Turkey to create something called the SDF, the Syrian Democratic Forces. Uh, to dilute the predominance of the YPG, if I can kind of say those terms. Um, do, and SDF, correct me if I'm wrong, Ubaid, I think it's 2015 is when they started, around that time, 2015, yeah. 20, yeah. Do, you, do you feel like the SDF was a successful experiment in terms of its foundation with YPG and non-YPG groups merging together? How do you assess the SDF and its purpose? Look, the, the, the SDF is an experiment that yeah. I, I don't think the Americans are the ones who came up with that experiment. I think the, uh, the, the people who are behind the YPG, the PKK itself, offered this up to the Americans because the PKK had already been engaged in this kind of recruitment and this kind of positioning in terms of media coverage and PR campaigning even before the Americans got involved because the YPG actually took over many of the territories that it took over early on in the revolution in coordination with the Assad regime and through negotiations with local communities, right? Mm -hmm. In 2012, in 2013, in 2014, the YPG entered into areas like Kobani, into, into areas like Amude, into areas like Tel Abyad, into areas like Afrin, and to areas uh, including Sheikh Maqsud, Tel Rifat, uh, all into Raqqa, part, parts of northern Raqqa, rural Raqqa, even north uh, north of Raqqa towards Ermelan, they took over the Yarubiya border crossing. They, they actually controlled uh, international border crossing. But they did all of this, they did all of this by recruiting Arabs, by paying off tribes, by negotiating with the Assad regime. The Assad regime literally uh, retreated from Afrin and handed it over to the YPG terror group because the Assad regime knew that the YPG posed a threat to Turkey and this would piss off Turkey. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the regime said, okay, we'll leave, you guys can have it. The Assad regime did the same thing in multiple uh, places along the Turkey-Syria border in coordination with the YPG and the PKK. So uh, in my opinion, this idea was not necessarily the Americans, but the way that the, the PKK was able to sell it to the Western media and to the international community was by saying, oh, uh, the Americans, uh, they decided that they wanted to create the Syrian democratic forces. Uh, there's a famous quote from one of the 
American generals. Uh, he was the original one, and I he, I can't remember his name for the life of me right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and he actually testified to this in front of either the Congress or Senate. And he said, yeah, we made up this name. We said uh, we wanted to give them a new identity. We suggested to them to use Democratic in the name, and we wanted to help them, you know, uh, change their identity in the international community. And they chose this, this uh, name system, the Syrian Democratic Forces, and they said, oh, see, it's not only about the YPG. It's not only about Kurds. It's not only about the PKK. It's about Arabs and Christians and Yazidis and Turkmen and this and that. And everybody is working together here in uh, in the Syrian Democratic Forces to fight uh, the Daesh terrorists. And this is, I think, in my opinion, a strategy that the PKK offered up to the Americans. They said, look, we're willing to play ball with you guys. We're willing uh, to change our names, to change our uh, our strategies to change our ideology, uh, at least on the surface, uh, in order to get your support. If that's what uh, if that's what it takes. But Albaida, when, when you say the PKK offered uh, you know that kind of idea to the United States, was it the PKK or was it like the Syrian arm, like the YPG? I know you kind of use the two two groups interchangeably. Look, what yeah. we're seeing, this is something that a lot of people have uh, you know discussed over the years and tried mm -hmm. to understand better, and uh, every time. Every time we get an official statement from uh, an official uh, voice like a, a U.S. Uh, military commander or a U.S. politician or even, uh, let's say, uh, Iraqi officials in Turkey, the, the, the position is very clear. And we even heard admissions from Europeans uh, that YPG is no different than the PKK. Mm -hmm. The YPG is the Syrian wing of the PKK terrorist organization. There are individuals who are in the command structure of the YPG and the Syrian Democratic Forces who are wanted, who are wanted and have Interpol notices on their names for being members of the PKK terror organization, for carrying out terror attacks against civilians, not only in Syria, but in Turkey and Iraq as well. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's become very clear that America was basically uh, duped into falling into this PKK trap. The PKK tried to convince America that, hey, you know, we're really not that bad. America has already uh, listed the terror group, the PKK, as a terror group, you know? Mm -hmm. So America knew what they were getting themselves into, but they figured, you know, maybe they've changed. It's been a lot of years. Maybe things are are different now. Uh, but the case, the, 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 the fact is that the case is the same. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the same people who are involved with the PKK terror group's operations over the last 20 years uh, are the same people who are involved with the YPG's operations in Syria over the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. So they don't have plausible deniability. They can't say we have nothing to do with the PKK terror organization. Muslim Abdi, Farhad Abdi Shaheen, his real name is. Mm -hmm. He is a wanted terrorist. Uh, there, there's an Interpol notice for his name. What's, his, ti other... what's his ties to YPG uh, for the sake of the audience, uh, Ubaidah? Uh, Muslim, Abdi, Muslim Abdi is the... Uh, is the commander, you could say, of the SDF, the Syrian Democratic Forces. Okay. Okay? But the Syrian Democratic Forces are an umbrella organization. So if the SDF wants to say, oh, we have nothing to do with the YPG, or, or we have nothing to do with the PKK, and the YPG wants to say we have nothing to do with the PKK, why is one of their members, Farhad Abdi Shaheen, involved in, or Muslim Abdi, involved with the SDF command structure? 
and he's a wanted terrorist and there's an interpol notice out for him mm -hmm. so there's no there's no way for them to really deny it and i think the americans got duped here because because of their lack of knowledge of the area and because of uh, their uh, kind of i i think it was a, a very poor decision on their behalf the obama administration really dropped the ball on the syrian file uh, mm -hmm. obama made it very clear when uh, he was asked about, you know, why aren't you guys supporting uh, the opposition enough? He he called the, the opposition, you know, dentists and teachers and people that weren't capable of carrying out a revolution and carrying arms against the Assad regime and yeah. that they weren't going to be able to overthrow the Assad regime. Yeah. So what they saw was an opportunity with these willing people uh, who were in these kind of ad hoc militias. They weren't really sure what kind of uh, ideology they had. They weren't really sure what kind of uh, connections they had. But they knew that they were available and that they were willing to, you know, pick up guns and fight. But when they got involved, they realized, oh, well, we kind of know some of these guys from before because, you know, they're PKK members. And, and then at that point, it was too late because they needed somebody willing and able to carry out that fight for them on the ground uh, uh, while they were carrying out the Operation Inherent Resolve. Yeah, well, the thing is, the Turkish intelligence, they've kind of communicated to the United States several times when it comes to some of these, you know, Kurdish groups like the YPG. And Turkey has a special, you know, vested interest in this because of, as you mentioned before, the um, the attacks that have happened, including suicide bombings that have occurred from uh, some of these uh, Marxist Kurdish affiliated groups um, in, within within Turkish borders. Uh, which kind of sparked, uh, what it, which is what I want to kind of lead into next, Operation Olive Branch, Euphrates Shield, and kind of just that Turkish intervention within as they saw the borders, the border between Turkey and Syria slowly collapse to these groups that Turkey sees as terror groups. Uh, would you, would you, can you go into come into some of the reasons why kind of Turkey went into northern Syria and why they established these safe zones? Uh, and to basically put an end to the Kurdish project or the YPG project, at least. Well, the, 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 it's not about the YPG project, okay? Uh, I don't want people to get the wrong idea here. The mm -hmm. YPG is uh, an, a means to an end. The PKK terror organization has been conducting terror attacks on civilians in this part of the world over the last several decades. They've killed over, just in Turkey, over 30,000 people. They've kidnapped and tortured and assassinated people in Syria over the last several decades. Only, only God knows how many people. In Iraq, they've been carrying out an insurgency in northern Iraq for decades. They've killed civilians. They've killed uh, government officials. They've killed soldiers. Uh, they attack uh, checkpoints. They attack bus stations. They attack schools. We've seen what they're capable of doing just uh, in the last uh, you know, 48 hours. They attacked a hospital. They've, they, they've killed over, over a dozen people in one attack with a precision attack. They knew exactly where the target was. The, the, the reports say that there were a few rockets that fell. This is on the hospital, Nafrin. There was a few rockets that fell near the hospital. And then a few minutes later, uh, the, the, the next barrage of rockets hit the, hit the uh, how you say the agile, the uh, emergency wing, yeah. and uh, and the uh, how you say the child uh, birth wing. Okay, mm -hmm. it, they hit them with direct hits, so they knew what they were doing, right? And these are relentless terrorists. And not only that, they fund their terror campaigns by conducting narcotic trafficking, 
narcotic, you know, narcotics sales. I mean, this is this is how they fund their operation. Turkey knew about this for many years and has been dealing with it for many years. Not only did Turkey know, Americans knew, the Europeans knew. Uh, European reports uh, from this year, there was a new one, all the way back. You could go back into European narcotics trafficking reports for 30 years. And all of them will mention the PKK tour organization as uh, one of the main facilitators of narco trafficking, especially for heroin and cocaine and other narcotics from the east to the west. Uh, they, they not only are operating as middlemen anymore. So before they could operate as middlemen, they may produce some, but they would operate as middlemen. They would traffic, they would embezzle the money, they would uh, launder the money uh, and provide, you know, manpower for this kind of operation. Now they're actually involved in the production of Captagon pills. They're involved in the production of marijuana, uh, of uh, how you say cannabis of different forms. They, they have raw marijuana, they have uh, shea, uh, they make it into hashish, you know, this is like a processed form uh, of, uh, of cannabis. I mean, th they're involved in all levels of this kind of uh, criminal activity. Uh, and for them, it's also a means to an end, just like the YPG is a means to an end, just like recruiting young men, taking family, uh, taking young men from families and taking them to the front lines and training them and giving them ideological brainwashing and then sending them to the front lines to fight. This is all a means to an end for a very elite group of people who have a very interesting status where they sit in the mountains and they surround themselves with young women who are ideologically motivated to their cause and they put out these uh, awkward kind of statements when they're, they're in the woods surrounded by trees wearing some very, uh, how you say, uh, I, I should say ethnic clothing clothing mm -hmm. uh, they're wearing clothes that makes them look like they're uh, you know uh, super kurdish you know and they don't wear uh, you know regular civilian clothes and they try and sell this identity but it's all a front mm -hmm. even murat karaylan uh, who's one of the pkk executive council members and he's a wanted terrorist also a member of the pkk and he's commented over the years about what's happening in syria and he doesn't hide his involvement or the PKK's involvement in what's going on with the YPG or Syria either. Uh, he's been under a lot of pressure by the Turkish anti-terror operations in northern Iraq. Mm -hmm. Assumingly, he's hiding out in northern Iraq as well. And he was wearing a, uh, a very, very expensive watch. I'm not a watch expert and I, I don't have an expensive watch myself. Mm -hmm. But some people were saying that the watch he was wearing on his hand, I think it's an Omega, is worth hundreds of thousands of Turkish liras. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, like basically uh, a lot of money, thousands of dollars, uh, uh, thousands of dollars worth of watch. And why would this guy be wearing such an expensive watch if he's, uh, you know, some kind of freedom fighter, a so-called guerrilla uh, in the mountains, you know, trying to uh, free the, the Kurdish people and establish a Kurdish state for them? Why does he have to wear uh, such an expensive watch while he's hiding out in the mountains? Uh, there, there's something that doesn't add up there. So this project... Uh, this project that they started uh, was very clear from their end, right? They want to create this greater, greater Kurdistan. And mm -hmm. they have cantons, they have names that they call them, you know, Rojava, and they have the canton of uh, Kobani. Uh, they also have, uh, you know, they have like East Kurdistan and West Kurdistan. Uh, the parts in Syria are called uh, Western Kurdistan, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, this is all Rojava. This is all Western Kurdistan and they have cantons in it. And then they have Eastern Kurdistan and Northern Iraq and parts of Iran and 
Azerbaijan and Turkey. And they say that they want to take all of this area and make this great uh, Kurdish uh, nation. Uh, this is what they say. Yeah. So Turkey said, no, we're not going to allow this on our border. Uh, Turkey has been conducting anti-terror operations against the group uh, for at least four decades. Um, the operations in Turkey made a lot of progress. And there was a peace process that was in place. But that peace process failed. Uh, because the PKK terror organization said, no, we're not interested anymore. The Americans are behind us. We're going to keep fighting back. And they continued to attack civilians inside Turkey. Uh, they continued to, or actually what they started to do was they started to use Syria as a launching pad. And you mentioned some suicide attacks that took place in Turkey. Uh, and it turns out after investigation that those terror attacks were planned and executed from Syria. Uh, and so people are... Uh, involved with the T PKK terror group. They go uh, either from Iraq or from Turkey into Syria. They get training, they get supplies, they do whatever they need to do, and then they cross over back into Turkey and they carry out terror organizations. Turkey said, it's enough. We're not going to deal with this anymore. At the same time, there was Daesh also in the area. And Daesh was also conducting terror attacks inside Turkey. So based on Turkey's national security needs, they decided that they were going to conduct an operation. The first operation they conducted was Operation Euphrates Shield. I think it was in 2016. And that operation was basically uh, against both the YPG and the Daesh terror group because it was a mix. Uh, it was a mixed uh, bag of adversaries, you should say, because the opposition was also on the run. Uh, the opposition was also uh, trying to uh, save face because it was being overrun by the Daesh terror group. And so Turkey entered into Azaz, it entered into Jarablus, uh, it entered uh, into an area in northern Syria that's known as Dabiq. Uh, and this was a huge ideological defeat for Daesh because Daesh was using the rhetoric that, you know, this is Ardul Mahshar, this is where the, the final battle is going to happen based on uh, some, you know, hadith from the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, Daesh was saying that this is where it's all going to happen. We're here. We're the chosen ones. Uh, so let's all make sure that we keep this place under control. But Turkey went in and it cleared out everything from Azaz, Arra'i, uh, Jarablus, Mare, all the way down into uh, uh, northern Aleppo, basically, towards the city. Uh, and it, it cleared a huge chunk of territory there. And, and uh, I mean, first of all, Abayda, thank you for going through all those operations that Turkey conducted because it was <laughs> it was very useful, especially in the chronological order that you went through. Uh, obviously, there are still areas that Turkey would still like to uh, potentially, you know, um, let's say, clear out of any YPG remnants like Menbij and Tel Rifat, and as you mentioned, also like in the northeast. But uh, as of right now, you know, with with Syria, it's become more kind of stable compared to the initial years where you had a lot of fluidity in terms of who controls what. So based on that, you know, based on how kind of the YPG or the SDF, I guess, if that's the more appropriate term, they control everything basically east of the uh, Euphrates River. How do you see the future of the areas that are held under the SDF? Do you see it going back to Assad? Do you see it just kind of remaining as an autonomous region? Uh, what what are your kind of uh, thoughts on that in terms of the future? The future is unknown. You know, nobody really knows what's going to happen in the future. The Biden administration hasn't uh, taken uh, the time to express any official position on where it will take its Syria policy. Uh, Turkey is clear that it wants to 
uh, neutralize any threat uh, that's posed to its national security. Uh, Iraq, uh, also the Iraqi government uh, and the KRG, in general terms, I should say, are supportive of neutralizing the threat posed by the PKK terror organization because the Iraqi government and the KRG want to maintain uh, some uh, resemblance of centralized control and central governance. And the PKK is a threat to that because it's a, a terror organization and they don't operate within the uh, purview of like organized government. So th they're also interested in making sure that uh, they don't pose a threat to them. Uh, however, uh, the PKK terror organization, because of the American support that it received over the last several years, whether it be uh, direct support in uh, Syria or the, the weapons and information and uh, capacity that was transferred to the PKK by the YPG that received the support from America is stronger than it was because of the American policies over the last decade. So instead of having a, a weakened, uh, a weakened and less capable terror organization, we're actually looking at an, a terror organization that's more advanced and more capable than it was 10 years ago. And that's what's making this uh, struggle even more difficult for, you know, Syrians in the first place. Syrians don't know what to do about it. And mm -hmm. the Syrian uh, opposition is facing a very difficult situation here with this uh, quasi-terrorist organization with political parties and representatives in Europe and support from all over the world. Whereas the Syrian opposition is struggling, you know, to get recognition and support. And at the same time, uh, Turkey is also continuing its anti-terror operations uh, uh, all over, whether it be in Syria or northern Iraq uh, and on uh, in some of these border areas along the Turkey-Iraq and uh, Turkey-Syria border areas. Um, Turkey has to take extreme measures to defeat the terror organizations. Turkey is conducting airstrikes. Turkey is conducting uh, targeted drone attacks, targeting the leadership, uh, trying to neutralize the threat. But because the terror organization has such a huge network of support uh, resulting from the many years of American and European uh, support, uh, Turkey is facing uh, impossible, uh, you know, it, it, it is trying to achieve the impossible, especially when you consider uh, these individuals who are involved in the terror organization's operations are able to freely travel from Iraq to Europe, okay? they. They conduct yeah. their money laundering operation in the out in the open, despite there being, uh, despite there being, uh, uh, how you say, people who are, despite there being information and intelligence available to governments to stop them and to intervene against them, but they're able to continue their operation without without anybody impeding them. So uh, Turkey's allies are letting them down, but Turkey's doing everything that it can. Turkey's soldiers are putting themselves on. Uh, at risk in northern Iraq, in, in northern Syria. Syrians are putting themselves at risk in Syria to protect their family and their friends from the PKK terror organization. But the question is, why is the PKK terror organization able to uh, pose a threat to all of these people with the support that they receive from Europe and America? And then Europe and America has the luxury of saying, oh, well, we want democracy and we want freedom and safety and stability and security for everyone. So mm -hmm. when you ask me about the future, I would say that nobody really knows what the future holds mm -hmm. because this situation is so dynamic and so convoluted 
that even if America and Europe decided today that they were going to stop providing support to the PKK terror organization, to the YPG, to any of their other related branches, they were going to pull out uh, and that they were going to leave all of this behind. What they're going to leave behind is a huge problem that they created for the people in the region to, to resolve. You know, uh, as you as you mentioned, the issue is so complex. And what I, what I do know for sure is, you know, based on what you said, is that the issue, that the situation is unsustainable. It can't proceed like this. Uh, something has to change. There has to be some kind of uh, resolution on the ground that guarantees the safety of the Syrian people. And uh, that's something that I think you and I and all people who care about Syria hope will come uh, to fruition very soon. I want to thank you, Ubaidah, so much for your time today and for your uh, in-depth answers to all the questions. I think you gave uh, me and the audience uh, great, great answers to kind of think about and to uh, to kind of just, you know, as we continue looking into current events and like the latest issue that happened and uh, the latest attack that happened in Afrin, to have this context in the background. And we can only just pray that the issue resolves and stability um, comes back to Syria and its people. Thank you again so much, Abayda. Thank you, Rafat. I hope I can, uh, you know, join your show again. I hope everybody benefits. Uh, Inshallah. Hopefully, if there's any wrong information that I gave, it's because I'm here, you know, with this uh, ADHD problem of mine, <laughs> no trying worries. to recall information from my mind. Uh, and I'm willing to answer anybody's questions. I don't know where people can leave comments or anything. Yeah, can you? Uh, can you uh, actually? What's your Twitter handle, Obeda, for the audience? It's at Obeda Hito, so you guys can follow me. I can answer questions if you need uh, any clarifications or anything like that. So it should be uh, an interesting discussion ahead. And anytime uh, you want to invite me back, I'd love to join you. That's that's great, man. No, I, again, thank you so much. And I know Syria, you know, it started in 2011, the uprising. So just kind of recollecting 10 years of information is no easy task. For Allah, I'll take it off you. And uh, I want to, again, thank the audience for uh, tuning in today. And please feel free to follow Ubaid Ahito. And any questions, please leave uh, comments. Or uh, you can direct message uh, The Tripolitan. We're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And you can find us on multiple podcast mediums as well, including Spotify and Google Podcast. Thank you and have a good day.